You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming online at WERA.FM. It's surprising who's interested in history. It's not everybody. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I moved last summer in the thick of the pandemic from one Arlington neighborhood to another. There was lots I couldn't do, places I couldn't go, but that didn't stop me from trying to learn about my new neighborhood. I watched the crows flock in at sunset to roost, heard Fort Myers' thunderous cannons in their weekly practice, smelled the sharp, sweet scent of marigolds and other flowers always in bloom at the Netherlands' Caroline. And here's some of what I've learned as well. The then all-black segregated 10th Cavalry Regiment was stationed at Fort Myer, just to our south. They performed in parades and horse shows, escorted prisoners, and tended Franklin Delano Roosevelt's horses. And just below that, still to our south, in Arlington National Cemetery is Section 27, which includes literally thousands of graves of formerly enslaved people, their headstones inscribed with civilian or citizen. To the east, between us and the D.C. skyline, is the U.S. Marine Corps War Memorial, which includes a depiction of Ira Hamilton Hayes raising the U.S. flag atop Mount Suribachi, symbolizing victory at Iwo Jima and the World War II Pacific Campaign. Hayes was born on the Gila River Indian Reservation in Arizona. At 19, he had enlisted in the U.S. Marine Corps Reserves and trained as a parachutist. And the Neighborhood Civic Association was founded in 1999 by former Congressman Charlie Wilson, of none other than Charlie Wilson's War fame. I have Arlington Historical Society, among others, to thank for what information I have. Information I've been ferreting out because, well, I'm curious about where I am. Who and what were here before me? How have those facts shaped my own experience here? What don't I know? What hasn't occurred to me to ask? What stories have been forgotten or hidden? And how might curiosity help me understand my community better, or help me better my community through understanding. And that's where I want to linger today, with choosing to be curious about the place we call home and getting our hands around its full history, whatever that might be. Who better to join me then in this enterprise than Charlie Clark, author, historian, and journalist, who's been chronicling life in Arlington at least as far back as the 70s when he wrote for the Yorktown High School Century. Right. (laughs) Charlie, who is perhaps best known as Falls Church News Press's columnist, Our Man in Arlington, and for his service to Arlington Historical Society, has published not just one, but two new books of local history. I confess I didn't even know about the books when I asked him to join me, but I'm delighted by the timing and to have him with me today. So welcome, Charlie. Oh, delighted to be here, Lynn. Well, it's a lot of fun, and you you have been on my list of want to have as a guest for a long time. So I'm glad I'm glad this timing worked. 
So tell me, what got you interested in Arlington history? Well, I did grow up here, but I went away to college and settled in Alexandria. And when I was in Alexandria, I started to learn about how Arlington and Alexandria used to be the same county. And uh, the Alexandria Canal, which I've just written about, went through my yard in Alexandria, and it went all the way to uh, Key Bridge, which is uh, what was then called the Aqueduct Bridge. So I started to see all these connections. And then I was married and had kids in the Alexandria schools, and we got a real estate deal in Arlington from an old friend. And so it was in 1993 that we came back. And that's when I decided that local history was going to be more my thing. And I, I joined the Arlington Historical Society just a few years after that, started writing for them. You know, Arlington has always struggled a little bit in comparison with Alexandria because it had George Washington and Robert E. Lee and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, diplomats and, and uh, a, a history of a dramatic slave auction company and uh, occupation uh, during the Civil War, which was wonderfully dramatized in that PBS series called Mercy a few years ago. And Arlington was a little more of a kind of a utilitarian little bit of a bedroom community when you get outside the cemetery in Arlington House. But the Arlington Historical Society has taken upon itself to remind people of some of the important history in Arlington, including C Civil War forts and uh, many presidents who came through here. And I, I tried to detail some of that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. My dad grew up in Alexandria and my I remember my grandfather kind of dismissing Arlington. It's like, well, only engineers live there. <laughs> As if that was a bad thing. <laughs> but again, sort of not really a sense that it had much of it. There wasn't much of a there there. And I'm wondering, you know, having grown up here too, how your idea of Arlington history has changed. And you've you've sort of spoken to that. Are there other ways that it's evolved? The other thing about Arlington, it was it was a, a place for summer homes for wealthier people in the District of Columbia. And a good example is the Lothrop family of Woodward and Lothrop fame built the, the house that we know as the Fabray Lothrop house that was just demolished this year at Wilson Boulevard and McKinley Road. And another example is the Gulf Branch Nature Center, which was a, a rural retreat built in the 1920s. It was famously occupied and rented in the 1930s by this world famous actress named Pola Negri. Oh, right. Uh, and uh, I was in on some of the reportage that sort of nailed all that down. You know, Willard Scott, who just passed away, you know, he had a secluded uh, home there near Chain Bridge where I used to deliver his newspaper. And uh, I could probably come up with some other people who had homes where they would retreat to in Arlington, uh -huh. but the action was downtown. I mean, this is obviously a show about curiosity, right? How do you think curiosity influences our understanding of history and our chronicling of history? Well, it's surprising who's interested in history. It's not everybody. Yeah. And but I should never stereotype. It isn't just intellectuals or uh, you know well-educated people uh, who are interested in it. It, uh, it has to do with more of a personality of self-awareness and whether somebody's interested in their own family and their ancestors, which encompasses a lot of people from all walks of life. You know, I always made it a practice to uh, pull over and read the uh, roadside historical plaques. 
So I, I, there's 81 of them in Arlington. They just uh, the Arlington Public Schools have a whole video series based on those historic signs, and I even lobbied to get one of them changed over off uh, Wilson Boulevard near uh, Bluemont Park. It's a treatment of the Civil War there, which we can go into details if you want. So uh, the people who are interested in, in history sometimes become real sticklers for fact. Too, <laughs> It takes some skill and some depth to, to really go back in time and place yourself and not get mixed up. For example, there are uh, when you get into the Custises and the and the Lees and the Washington family, there's a lot of people with the same name or similar names, but different generations. And it's very easy if you're just skating the surface to get two characters mixed up. Mm-hmm. And uh, that happened with the... Uh, Abingdon Plantation, which is at National Airport, Reagan National Airport now. And there's two generations of hunters that live there. And one of them is a nephew and one of them is the uncle. And you, you got to get that straight, although they have similar name. So uh, my lesson in that is that history is not everybody's uh, game, but you shouldn't presume to know whether somebody's going to be interested in history because I always get surprised. You wear two hats, right? A journalist and an historian. And they say that journalism is the first rough draft of history. Correct. Yeah. You know, in that dual role, I wonder if you sort of think about that in, when you have your journalist hat on. Uh, absolutely. You, you can't be a journalist if you're not inquisitive. And journalism gives you the license to call up strangers and ask them questions. And they, if you were just an average citizen calling them up, they probably might not take your call. So that's where you, you develop the skills and uh, who to call and what to ask them and how to present it once you've learned it. But then history, you have to go into a lot more depth. And I'll give you a good example. When I was at Congressional Quarterly, I used to write these 10,000 word reports on a given topic, some public policy topic, like homeschooling, for example. And uh, you, you had to organize the piece into the current day debates and the what happened in the past and what's the outlook for the future. And if you, I found that writing the history section, what happened in the first 200 years of America on this topic was the hardest part to write because you had to do a lot of reading and boil it down to just six or 800 words. And that took a lot. I could write the what's happening now and what's likely to happen in the future in about a half the time it took to write the history section. So that tells you something about the challenges of writing history. So what curiosity might you hope that future historians apply when they look back on Arlington's history? What do you what do you hope that they're curious about? Well, let's see. There's. Arlington is a government-oriented community that became less so, uh-huh. I think, like Fairfax and the Dulles Airport Corridor. The tech industry took over a little bit, and all of those civil servants that came here in the right after World War I, the first influx, and that prompted the development of some of the first the subdivisions. And then certainly in the run-up to World War II and certainly during and after World War II, where the the government girls, my mother was one of them, came to, to D.C., and the civil service expanded greatly. And that stuck after World War II. It didn't just all go, go away. And that's when Arlington really became part of the company town. What I do find a little odd to, for people to re- don't remember is that when I was growing up in Arlington, it was still the closest to D.C., but it wasn't considered more desirable than Fairfax 
or, or you know the McLean Tyson's areas were further out, and but people wanted that isolation or Reston, for example. I remember when Reston opened you know, right. back then. The traffic wasn't as bad then. Of course, there wasn't metro either. But but a lot of the people who worked downtown for the agencies were perfectly happy to commute out to uh, uh, Vienna and. The houses next to Chain Bridge weren't necessarily more expensive than those places on Vienna. That has changed now since traffic uh, grew in the 90s. And- yeah, yeah. And I'll say that here on WERA, we run the On This Day in Arlington History at 9 yeah. in the morning and 5 in the evening. Just a plug for those sessions. They're, I love them. I'm so excited that we're doing those. And I've been impressed as I've watched the stories that the society is bringing forward, coupled with what the county is doing in terms of a racial history timeline that has really opened my eyes to a portion of the county's history about which I was really very ignorant. And I wonder what your experience of that has Mm -hmm. been unfolding some of the stories you know, maybe some of the racial impact of some of that yeah. becoming a company town. That was a real point of inflection for the county, wasn't it? Well, I would say that this revisitation of the history to focus more on the the undersung role of African-Americans is a, a nationwide yeah. trend and, and, a, and a healthy one. It's certainly happening in, in Richmond and the rest of Virginia. If you've been to the, any of the plantations like Monticello and Montpelier, and Highland, as I've done all three of those in recent years, they have all new exhibits that emphasize the role of the enslaved community on those sites. Yeah. But Arlington is a, is a very good example of, you know, Arlington was always more liberal than the rest of the state. And that goes back to the Civil War during secession. That, that section of Alexandria did not vote to secede in 1861. Uh, and it was also true in the early 50s when Arlington had its elected school board and they wanted to desegregate. And that's when the powers that be in Richmond removed Arlington's elected school board and had them be appointed. That lasted until the 1990s. Yeah. When Mary Hines was elected to the school board 40 years. So Arlington was because of that influx of government people from around the country became more liberal. And when I was growing up, Arlington was more blue collar and it was more like the southern parts of Virginia, that there was uh, plenty of, of very conservative people and uh, traditional people. Uh, not, not that there's anything wrong with traditional people, but just not, not agitating for change, is, I guess, is more of a lifestyle that, that, they, that many people lived. And, of course, all of our schools uh, were named for colonial and plantations and, and all this Revolutionary War battles and things. And that was... Uh, we, we were conscious that we lived in a very historic state, and I got bored with that when I was growing up, but uh, as an adult, I've become very proud of the fact that Virginia is such an important state. You know, you have the Jamestown colony and then the 1619 first slaves, and then you have, you know, the Battle of, of Yorktown, and, and then you have the Civil War battles and the finale of the Civil War and the surrender, and, and then you have eight presidents coming from Virginia. Now that's that that's a unique state, really is, and so we in North Arlington, in Northern Virginia, identified a little too much, I think, with D.C. when I was growing up, and were maybe not as appreciative of the great heritage just uh, an hour or two south of us in Virginia. And, and I sort of feel like today maybe there's a little more integration 
the the people down in Richmond and the people who represent other parts of the state there are very aware how much political influence Northern Virginia has and how all the politicians have to campaign up here because that's where the votes are. <laughs> that's where the votes are. Yeah. yeah. I mentioned at the top of the show that you have two books out and one of them is specifically on kind of deeper history and one uh, that you talk about sort of Lost Arlington. Tell us, tell us a little bit more about both of those books. Yeah. Well, the Lost Arlington one is about nostalgia and preservation and it documents the big things that were here and are no longer here. Mm -hmm. Things that you should know about, like the Arlington Experimental Farm and the Arlington Beach and Custis's uh, pavilion, uh, Arlington Pavilion. You take it, you know, I reprinted maybe a, a dozen or 15 columns, but I also wrote uh, 12 or 15 new entries on, on things that used to be here. And the book is it, it, a little more coherent than my compendiums of columns, the other two books, and that there's a, a preservation theme and it takes you up into the present day and talks about the, the teardown trend in housing and the, the, the McMansions replacing the old 50s Ramblers, and which kind of disregards the history. So it's a little more of a plea for slowing things down a little bit. So the other book is a biography of George Washington Park Custis, and he was the creator of Arlington House, and he lived 1781 to 1857, but really bridged the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, give or take a few years. And uh, he was the step-grandson of George Washington. Martha Washington was his grandmother. She had a, a previous marriage. Our guy Custis never knew his father because his father died of camp fever fever at the Battle of Yorktown after the Battle of Yorktown in 1781 when Custis was just an infant. So he was raised at Mount Vernon with his sister Nellie by George and Martha Washington. And a lot of the people at Mount Vernon know him as this kind of ne'er-do-well failed student who didn't live up to Washington's expectations, and that's a big part of his life. But the, uh, they don't really follow the Arlington House drama. And then the people at Arlington House who know him as the uh, conceiver of the home and the, the patriarch uh, who had the, uh, the daughter who married Robert E. Lee and who was a famous orator around Alexandria and D.C. and who was a farming innovator and then he became a playwright and he became a painter, not necessarily a talented painter, but an interesting painter. And uh, he was an enslaver of uh, almost 200 African-Americans, uh, about 100 and 30 of whom were down on, uh, east of Richmond on the Funky River at his two plantations, which is where the money came from more. And so uh, the people at uh, Arlington House who follow him are less familiar with his boyhood at Mount Vernon. And so I realized when I was researching this that there is no book on Custis. Mine is the first. Huh. There are books on Arlington House, and he shows up in every biography of George Washington and every biography of Robert E. Lee, but sort of in a cameo role. So this is the first full treatment of his life. Right, right. So if people are curious about Arlington, you know, where should one direct one's curiosity? And do you have what I would call curiosity practices, techniques you use to leverage curiosity in your work, to learn more that you can recommend to the rest of us? to learn more about wherever it is, Arlington or wherever we happen sure. to be? Well, besides reading the roadside signs and uh, joining the Arlington Historical Society, <laughs> or, or, or 
where you have events and then you get an annual magazine and you get to share knowledge with other people. See, there's nobody who knows it all. That's what I like about the Arlington Historical Society. And uh, sometimes I can fake it of knowing a lot because I'm a journalist and I'm glib, but there's people there who each with their own specialty who really go into a lot of depth and detail. And so we all learn from each other and that will all, will always be. One little insight I have is that uh, if you're looking at the most sought after properties in historic houses, note that they're almost always on a hill. And those hills the topographically have been around for at least 200 years. And, and uh, you can still see on Minard Hill, you can see it on Upton Hill and on Powhatan Street where the Birch uh, House was. He was a War of 1812 veteran and the, the house that's on that property now was built in the 1890s, but it's still historic. And I notice that it's up on a hill. So I always keep my eyes out for that. Watch the hills. That's a great tip. That's a great tip, folks. You heard it here first. I love it. I love it. Well, before I let you go, Charlie, are you game for my big jar wannabe analogies? Okay, let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I have a literal big jar here, and I'm going to take out three, three slips of paper, and we're going to make an analogy to whatever is on these slips. Okay. So mine is hubcap. How is curiosity like a hubcap? Yours is lightning. How is curiosity like lightning? And I have one for the audience. Would you like to go or you want me to give it a shot first? Oh, you go first. <laughs> okay. How is curiosity like a hubcap? Well, um, you know, I have had the unfortunate experience of my hubcaps coming flying off my car and traveling along with me on the highway, but not in a place where I can get them back. And I think Curiosity is a little like that. Sometimes it spins off and it gets away from you. Um, but you can also stop to, you can also choose to stop and pick it up and chase it. Um, but I think it is something that gets spinning and takes on a momentum of its own. So that's how I'll say it's like a hubcap. How is curiosity like lightning? Well done. Well, I noticed that uh, curiosity uh, requires that you keep your memory in good shape, which gets harder as we get older. <laughs> and I have found that when I am stuck trying to recall or retrieve something that I used to know, that the way to do it is to quickly force it to the surface as quick as lightning. And uh, at least 50% of the time, something you've been struggling to recover, recall will emerge if you do that quickly. So. Very nice. Very nice. A second great life tip here. Watch for the hills and <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and lightning strike. Uh, very nice. Very nice. And audience, yours is bar of soap. How is curiosity like a bar of oh, soap? Wow. Let us know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for this. Congratulations on the new books. Thank and you, Liz. My eyes are on the hills now. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to WERALP 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington. Check us out online at WERA.FM. You can find all my previous shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to Be Curious, and on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at Choose Number Two, Letter B, Curious. Don't forget to send us your bar of soap analogy. Hashtag analogy. 
Special thanks to my guest, Charlie Clark. Check out links to his books on my website. I'm reminded of what my guest, the historian Susan Strasser, said. We are never really done discovering and rewriting history. So I hope you'll discover some of Arlington's rich history that may be new to you. Check out the county's racial history timeline. Visit the Black Heritage Museum of Arlington. Take a look at Wilma Jones's work documenting the history of Halls Hill. Or follow the walking tour of Clarendon, once known as Little Saigon. I've got links to it all on my website. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack for our theme and other music. It's always nice to feature a local musician. Just another bit of our shared history. I hope you'll join me again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. Well, it's funny, you know, you mentioned some very impressive details about uh, Fort Myer and Roslyn uh, neighborhood. A couple of things came to mind. You know, I've written about, Pat, you know, Patton was the commander, George Patton of Fort Myer for a while. And he had a, a luxurious home there on Nash Street, I believe, maybe around 12th and Nash. And it was inherited by the Congressional School, and then it burned down in the 1950s. And the Congressional School then moved out to where it is today, which is on Sleepy Hollow Road uh, in set near Seven Corners. So that Patton House is of interest in that neighborhood. That actually explains something, because I have noticed that the stone wall that's built around uh, Prospect House yes. um, has a what looks like a foundation chunk of stone that has like c-o-n-g written on it which sounds like congressional school that could be could be yeah i'll have to look into that Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.